Welcome to another live edition here on a Wednesday night of the Rock Pile. Catch me live every Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. Fist pumps to everybody out there listening. If you're listening, put in the comment box. If you're listening on Facebook, where are you listening from tonight? Put it in the, the comment box if you can. Got a great show for you tonight. Uh, I have my cousin Kevin Eady, the owner of Farrell Restaurant, going to join me in just a moment. Um, as always, follow me on Facebook, follow me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, um, and you can also follow me uh, on all those platforms right off of Facebook. So without further ado, let's see if I can get Kevin on the into the platform here. Let's see, Kev. There you are. What's going on? Nothing much, Ben. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Welcome to the show, buddy. It's good to be on. I've been watching the last few weeks and uh, really happy to be on. It's going to be a good. going to be a good time. Well, Kev, I was thinking about this as you were the first non-sports guest I had five years ago on the Mohawk Valley Sports Watch. Five years ago. Has it been that long? Yeah, I've been on the air five years and uh, you were the first non-sports guest. That is really something. Um, although I do love sports, so it's easier to uh, I, can, I can talk a little a little bit of uh, small ball or whatnot. But uh, it's nice being uh, it's nice to break it up, you know, to have have someone who's not completely in the sports world, you know, give an opinion. I like, you know. Well, Kev, I was telling you the other day when we were talking um, when I was as I was waiting for my son, but. You're a Yankee fan. You know Michael Kay, obviously, and Michael Kay is a Fordham grad, and his show's center stage. And, you know, as I started doing the radio show, I said, you know what? I said, I've done sports my entire life. I said, why not branch out and talk to everybody? You know? There's so much, you know, in the kitchen we always say, if you're not learning something every day, you know, you should be learning from the dishwasher. You should be learning from guests, everybody, everybody in the house, so. You, you, if you, if you apply yourself, you can, you can learn from everyone. Kev, what the hell are they going to do? Social distance in Coney Island. This could be the first year we don't have the hot dog eating contest. I'll never go back. I'll tell you. Is it going to happen? It is not. There's no way. You don't think so? For, I, I hope not for a couple of reasons, but <laughs> uh, it's a zoo. It's a zoo down there, you know. You people on top of people, so I don't know how you can do that. And I, I don't. I, then if you if you're not going to have the people, I don't know why you do it in an alleyway behind a hot dog shop. It's all about the introductions, George Shea and the introductions. That's what the hot dog eating contest it is. It goes on for at least an hour more than you see on television. The aftermath, right? It. Yeah, you can believe it. It goes on for at least an hour more than you see on TV. Um. It's the only time I've ever seen a sporting event where I was glad I was short. <laughs> the truth. The truth. There, I, the, there were people, uh, the roads there are so old, they're really curved. And I was standing by the back uh, curb. And so everybody in front of me was going higher up. And uh, if I would have had to see that in person, I don't <laughs> think I would have been able to, to eat for a while. But... Um, it is a American tradition, Fourth of July tradition. Yeah, great New York City, uh, you know, in, fun time. 
Well, Kev, I want to dive into, I got I told you, I, usually I don't do any show prep for, for family members, but I actually had to do some show prepping for you tonight. Um, I want you to tell the listeners that, that don't know Kevin Eady, the journey it's been for you to actually get to Farrell. Like, tell us about it. Farrell um, took a long time. Um, and for a good reason, you know, you, you know, you, you get cooking is a craft, just like any other craft. You, you got to hone it every day. Um, you know, there, it's a traditional, you know, the, especially the way I went about it, but in the way everyone should go about it is a tr traditional, you know, journeyman, um, you know, apprentice journeyman, master craft, you know, where you spend the beginning part of your career, um, you know, working for whoever will let you work for them. And then the middle part of your career, choosing who you want to learn from. Um, and then, uh, you know, as you get a little older, you can, you know, get into a position where you get to make a few decisions. Um, and, you know, it took me about maybe 15 years of cooking to get to Faro. And the last five of that, I was running a kitchen. Like, I didn't have a boss that lived in the state, you know, um, basically running the entire restaurant, uh, which was great because it allowed me to learn um, some things you never know until it's your money, you know. And, you know, that's when it gets pretty serious when, you, you know, you're trying to put up your life savings to create something. Um, and the... Uh, learning curve can be really steep, especially in a big city like New York, where, you know, the rent is not inexpensive. Um, but uh, I started off cooking in middle school, in middle school with um, the fact that my, my mom needed someone to help her get dinner in the oven so that we could all eat as a family. It's really important for, uh, for our, my, my, you know, my, my family to have, you know, have that meal together. And uh, I, I kind of just fell in love with the idea of making other people happy. You know, that's really what being a chef is. It's not, you know, I mean, there's certain fun things that I do at work and, you know, I get to control that now, which is wonderful. But um, being a chef is about nurturing other people, you know, and uh, when the first time you ever, you know, not even create something like the first time you just cook somebody a steak or something they've had a million times, make someone a chocolate milk, whatever it is, you can see that smile on their face. And, um, you know, as people get, you know, like, you know, for me getting, getting older and, you know, really focusing on appeasing a certain set of the society their taste buds have already been challenged. So it, it makes it harder for me to impress somebody, to make someone smile, um, which is really what keeps it alive for me is that um, thought of someone who, you know, it, uh, to bring it back to sports, um, uh, what's Joe DiMaggio said, there's some kid who, who seen you play for the first time today, yep. you know? And so, the, and there's always somebody who's walking into Faro for the first time, you know? And I want to make sure that they, when they walk in, it is a, 
a wow moment for them, something, you know, a place that they'd like to come back to, a place that they feel nurtured and happy uh, leaving. You know, um, one of the better compliments I ever got uh, was that from a Roman, but um, they said, uh, you know, I've been looking around and not one person's on their phone. This was in the last, you know, five years, obviously. And that, that was, I, I never really think of it like that because I'm not looking at, you know, it's rare to see people on their phone in my restaurant, you know, um, to get people to focus on each other, on the meal, consuming together, you know, um, is a, is a point of pride for me that, that people will, can, can leave that stress of their email or their this or that, or the burden of Facebook or Instagram or, you know, just leave it at the door for two hours, you know, and, and have some, some good grub and then go home and then, then you can deal with your problems again. Kev, so and even in sports, you know, a lot of athletes, you know, when they first get into sports, they, they know when they want to be a coach. You just, you have it in you from day one. You say, I know long-term I'm going to be a football coach or a basketball coach. When you got into the hospitality, the restaurant business, did you know right away that your long-term goal was you wanted to be a restaurant owner? Yes, basically yes. Um, I, I met my wife t almost um, almost twenty years ago, eighteen, nineteen years ago, and the first thing you know, we were talking about we worked met at work, and it was like you know I'm gonna one day open a restaurant. You wanna you wanna work at it, you know, and um, it's uh, th th there's a real part of cooking that you miss when you're young that you don't realize it while you're doing it. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, the karate kid doesn't understand why he's painting the fence. <laughs> punch him, you know, uh, and there's, and now I find great beauty in, um, in, in shucking peas and, um, uh, you know, blanching a vegetable properly, all these little tiny things that you can, you know, make anybody who cares do. Uh, but when you're doing them, it's so, it, it is very menial, you know, to shuck 10 pounds of peas every single day and then and blanch them. And you, you know, you're trying to go forward and trying to go forward. And one of the things I, I recognized right away is that um, I, I saw a few kids who were slightly older than me get put into positions of leadership and they didn't have the, um, the base of the pyramid. And uh, they, you know, you get eaten alive in the kitchen if uh, you're new to a kitchen, in charge of people, and the and the, you know, the chef says uh, you know make make soupies or something, and you don't know, and all the cooks know, even though the cooks know it just because that's what they serve in their kitchen. You will be eaten alive, and I was like, well, I I need to go at a measured pace to get to where I need to be, but. From day one, I knew that I wanted to be the one choosing how much pepper went on the steak. Well, Kev, there's always bosses that even that I've had throughout my life that I've, you know, I don't like a boss, but you respect them because they're your boss. You've worked for a lot of um, owners, managers, right? You've had a lot of different types of chefs that you've learned from. Was oh, yeah. there one or two particularly that almost where you said to yourself, this is thing for me? Was there, was there any of those experiences along the way? Uh, 
there were kitchens like that where I kind of was like, you know, I don't want to, you know, I'm a big believer in practice like you play. Um, and I knew right away this is not really what I wanted to do. But I got some really good advice when I was, you know, 21, 20, 21 years old from a guy named Todd Sheffield, who was from Rochester, actually. And uh, he said to me, don't stay in a kitchen one minute past they don't have anything to teach you. He goes, the day you get there and they don't want to teach you anything new, pull the ripcord. Walk out, get another job. And this dude had worked everywhere. Everywhere. He worked at barbecue places and he worked at Nick Tahoe's for a while. He, you know, uh, pizza parlors, sandwich shops, sushi, Chinese, Japanese. Like, he worked everywhere and learned and learned and learned. And, uh, I don't know if I had um, chefs that I wanted to get away from. You know, I, I really feel like I made some very good decisions about that. But there were a few restaurants where I was like, uh, this is a mistake. This was, you know, a lot of um, window dressing. And then you get in the kitchen and, you know, they're doing things that don't live up to my expectation of what you, you know, if you're going to go to work for 17 hours a day, maybe you should put a little effort into it you know it, it like it's just the wasted time that you have with people who are expecting you to work long hours and cutting corners because they already know how to do whatever so they they cheat you know um fake chicken stock is a thing like i, I if i see someone using that and i'm just like you 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 uh you effed up buddy you you know i can't i'm not gonna do that because the first kitchen I worked in was extremely, I was so far over my head that it was hard to manage day-to-day basic tasks because it was the first time I ever done it. I didn't go to school for it. I didn't I didn't have that uh, Mick job where you kind of learn how the basic flow of things. I literally was thrown into a tornado with a guy who was, he was Italian, but he used to yell at me and in French and in a French accent, because that's how he got yelled at, <laughs> you know, which was still, still pretty interesting. So kind of earth, wheat and fire. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about that. You got to have a catchphrase. Um, as you get older, there's things, you know, there's things that become important to you in, um, in what you do every day, especially in the kitchen. You know, it ties back into what I had, you know, what I just said. But it, for me, uh, being respectful of the earth, being respectful of where we live uh, can, and how we consume things, especially meat, um, was really important to me. So, uh, you know, that's where the earth part came from. Um, wheat is how you make pasta. And... When before I opened Faro, one of the things that uh, you know I had pushed, I had pushed and pushed and pushed on every ingredient. Where's it coming from? Who's who's growing it? How are they growing it? What are they using in the soil? Um, how is it harvested? You know, there's a lot. You know, like everything I could, but flour it comes in a bag. You know, it has no, you know, until you think about it, it's just a bag of flour. You know, when you start thinking about it, that, that is weird that that's a nameless, faceless, placeless, rootless ingredient that 
everyone is using constantly. And so I really started doing a little research into it. We started milling our own grains. There's where the wheat comes from. And fire um, is a, uh, you know, at the time, and, and it's still prevalent to some extent. And I'm not against it in any, you know, um, for other people, they make their own decisions. But sous vide was really popular at the time and, and has been for a long time, which is a method of cooking where you vacuum seal stuff and put it in a, you know, a water bath. And uh, I think it's a, I, I think that it has its place, and but I would never allow that in my kitchen to make it easier for a cook to complete his day without screwing up. You know, like it, it, you don't, it's training wheels, you know, like just learn to cook it. And so we cook stuff in a fire, and that's very difficult. Um, you know, having a chef come into the restaurant and thinking I cooked a piece of chicken sous vide uh, and it was cooked in a, in a fire was one of the greatest moments, you know, to have a really re renowned chef think that, that some, I taught a kid good enough to fool that guy how to cook something in a fire, you know, cooking with, you know, that's, and it's very rudimentary. You know, the first food was cooked up with a fire and probably the last. Um, I, you know, had those three things. And I was like, how am I going to put that together? I was like, fire, wheat, and earth. And then it just hit me, earth, you know, earth, wind, and fire. It made, it made a, it, it's a, it's a popular band and it sounded really good. So I just substituted the wheat and, uh, and we were off and running. Well, Kev, we got some, some comments on here. I put one up here on the screen. Your mom, mom watching says hi. So I had to, and if, if your mom stays on for the whole show, I know you said she might fall asleep, right? And you're going to, you're gonna have to hit your uh, little thing you got there in the background, right? But I'm gonna I'm gonna try something I haven't tried here tonight. So if your mom stays up, I'm gonna put a link into the uh, the broadcast where if she actually clicks on the link, I might be able to get her on here live with us. So if she stays on, I might have five minutes at the end where I'm gonna try something tonight, and we'll see if we can get your mom on to say a few words. Um, let's see what else. Miss Sauls, Kathleen Sauls says hi, Kevin. Oh. A wonderful guest and a wonderful human being. Yep. Let's see who else we got. Had Amanda Parsons says, Kevin. Amanda Parsons the best. You got a good audience, Kev. Oh, Mark good. Beer says, the animal. That's that's my brother. <laughs> Let's see. Your mom says she's up. Let's see. Jen says, Rome's proud of you, Kevin. Oh, wonderful. So we got a, we got a bunch on here, which is pretty cool. So, Kev, the other thing I was really impressed with is when you know a lot of times you got to start from the ground up, and you've definitely started from the ground up and worked your way up to the top. What I thought was really neat is your restaurant was a warehouse before you turned it into a restaurant. Talk about that transition. Uh, well, basic nightmare. Uh, I guess is a good way to put it. Um. I'll skip the lesson on uh, how terrible real estate in any major city is. It's a, you know, it, you don't need to hear another sob story from me. Um, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk about what was important about it. Uh, finding a raw space, which is the only thing we look for. We never looked at a, uh, a restaurant, a pre-existing restaurant. Um, for one really important reason. Um, 
restaurants fail all the time because some guy can't cook. They also fail because someone who built the restaurant had no idea how to actually ride that roller coaster, you know, and, uh, you know, even roller coasters that have cataclysmic failure, some part of it actually worked. You got going, you know, Uh, and that's how restaurants can be. You can get, you know, the restaurant that I worked in before Faro, before I opened Faro, whoever put the hood in it, put it about three quarters of an inch away from the wall and an angled top. And uh, the restaurant had been open for a few years before I got there, but you couldn't clean it enough. You couldn't get your hand on the side. You couldn't get anything in there. So as you cook, uh, you know, oil aerosol aerosolizes and gets up in the air. It lands on the tilted hood and it spends the rest of the night dripping down the side. And you spend the rest of the night wiping, it, wiping every 10 minutes you're wiping. And uh, that problem could have been solved. Right. And when you think about it, like, well, you know, that's an annoyance. Well, of course it is. But when the health department comes in, it's money that comes out of your pocket. Sure. Every, and once they get you, they get you. And you, I mean, like, there's no joke that there's places in New York City that are spending $30,000 a year on fines to stay open. That's it. You know, that's crazy. It's, it's really crazy. So, you know, building things with a purpose, you know, we um, spray painted on the floor everything before we bought a thing, before we, you know, did anything. It was like, this is where this is going to be. And then I would stand there and, and make believe, you know, I'm cooking. Uh, and then what do I, where do I grab, you know, like I, I've cooked, uh, you know, tens of thousands of things. So I'll just pretend I'm cooking a pasta dish. So it's like, where, what is the first thing you do? You grab the pan. Okay. Where's the pan go? Right. So wh- where are the pans going to be in this situation? Where is the oil container? you're going to use, is it going to be a Bain Marie with a uh, ladle? Is it going to be a squeeze bottle? Are you going to have a speed pourer? You know, what, you know, and every single aspect from where the dishwasher is to how much space it is between the oven and the cooler, which is enough space for a person to stand in front of the oven while it's open and one person to walk behind them. Uh, was walked through before we made a purchase, you know, the, the make-believe of clearing a table and where do you put the, you know, uh, the empty, you know, where, where does it all go? All of this, you know, you know, that process, that process, you know, Faro's been open for five years. We built for a year, you know, but New York City construction, it was really about yeah. three and, uh, you know, nine months of crying uh and then but a year and a half before that so two and a half years before we even opened we started with the looking the seeking the searching and the planning which you know i'm sure one of those notebooks behind me is the original drawings that i did of what i wanted the kitchen to look like and so you had the game plan you had the prep and you were preparing this for a while you know before you, you executed stuff Yep. You think, I mean, a lot of people, I think too, Kev, they, you know, they, they think it's easy to run a business. Let's just start a business and, you know, we can make money. And a lot of them fail so fast because they're not, they're just not prepared. Yeah. Um, 
everybody everybody eats almost everybody cooks whether it's just one thing or a lot of things i'm sure you could cook something you know you grill you know you're working the you know you do you, you maybe you got your dish you know um that's not what it's like in a restaurant you know and that's okay that's that's totally that's great that you've got your chocolate cake that you make every year or your whatever it is that you make on Sundays. It's not how a restaurant works. So you're a little bit duped into everybody loves my chocolate cake. Well, uh, maybe they love it because there's way too much butter and the, it's the best chocolate you can afford. And so now you have to charge $31 for a slice of chocolate cake and no one wants to buy it. So even though it's the best cake, you know, you, you, the business end is kind of screwed up. So it's, 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 it's a tough business because it's something that everyone does every day, you know, and a lot of people get duped into it. Also, you don't make any money doing this. Like this is not a business where you make real money. The most successful restaurants on the food front are not equal to the crappiest food restaurants, you know, I mean, they they make money a penny at a time, but they they make a lot of pennies. Yeah, and those margins are so small. Yeah, and in my restaurant, I you know maybe I make ten cents, but I'm selling a lot less than getting at uh, another place. You really have to love being the person who's at the party who's not enjoying themselves. <laughs> they're they're making other people enjoy themselves. That's what makes me happy. So it's a perfect fit for me. You know, I like, I like to be making the other person happy. So it's, it's a pretty good fit for me. So we got some more comments uh, here, um, Kev. We got Todd Kelsey. Remember, Todd says, great to see you, gentlemen. He's King, out there. King of the worm burner. I miss <laughs> you, got Bob Gula says, hi, Rock and Kev. And then Donna Smallin says, the Smallins are watching. We loved our dinner with the Seraces and Corks when they came out. Let's see what else we got. Justin Nee says, love this. A lot of respect for you, Rock and Kevin. Thanks, Justin. Appreciate it. Oh, I like it. Bill's Mafia. And then my wife says, uh, we got to take the trip down. And hopefully you can make a vegetarian meal. She don't eat meat, Kev. Can you get any vegetarian stuff? I have a lot, yeah. All right, that's good. And then, uh, of course, my wife said when you said I can probably make a dish, she says, no, he cannot. <laughs> that's okay. That's why I have, uh, you know, this nice shirt is because people have to come to me for dinner, especially in this town. You know? Well, Kev, my sister's got questions on your menu, which I'm going to get to. But what I, what I want to ask you is um, probably not a, a very memorable date for you, but March 15th. What happened? Well, you know, uh, first of all, I'll just say this. Farrell is going to be okay. We're, we're going to be all right. Um, it, it started before that when um, I was in the city and I went to this uh, Chinese restaurant I, that I go to from time to time. And it's always packed. Land of plenty. If you're ever in the city, 53rd Street. Great Szechuan food, always packed, always busy. And then 
probably a week or so, maybe 10 days before we ended up closing, I went in for lunch and it was so dead. I, we might've been the only people in there. And that's like being the only person at Disney World. I mean, like it was so yeah. proud. And, uh, you know, we had, I had seen the stuff on, on TV and I had seen the, the news and, um, you know, good thing is I don't care about money. You know, I care about that. I'm never going to have some server tell me that their mom died because some person got them sick and they went home, you know? So we actually shut down before we were mandated to, um, you know, once service, you know, there's not a nickel to spare. There's not a person to spare in the restaurant business. So, you know, when you start to see mandatory toning down of how many people you can put in your restaurant, you, you can't be open. It's not, it's not, a, it's, it does, does not work like that. Um, wholesale, you know, from rent to, you know, what you pay for toilet paper has to be changed when you start limiting how many people can come in the restaurant. So we, we shut it down uh, for safety reasons. Um, and it's heartbreaking. You know, it's heartbreaking to see something you, you, you know, was your baby go dark, but it was the only way to, you know, it was the only way to save it. You know, you can't push through this, you know, um, when you order to go food, uh, and you're doing it through an online app, those people are, they, those, they're, they're getting so much money that you you can't build your business. You can't, you can't survive. Like, I would have, I would have been losing. T- if I, if I, if my business was just online to go, I'd lose 10% a year, even with the same sales and the same business, you know, it doesn't, you just can't, you can't survive that. So, uh, and now, you know, you got the summer coming, which, you know, knock on wood, you know, Faro, we're okay. You know, we do okay. I, I run the business properly. My wife is a legend with this, with the numbers and, you know, uh, we're, we're okay, but even good restaurants close in August, August will eat you alive. Everybody's out of the city. It's hot. It's disgusting. You, you live in the city, you yeah. know, yeah. you know, Fordham road, baby, the yeah. D train. Um, it, it kills good restaurants in a normal year in a happy year. It'll kill a restaurant. So I'm, I'm going to hold off. Uh, you know, we're not even at, we're, we just, opened, we just did stage one, two days ago. So we got time, uh, you know, with, with all that's going on in the world, um, you know, it's not going to be quick from one to three, um, especially that, you know, the over 30,000 people died, you know, here, it's going to be 200,000 dead people by in America by September, you know, it's not. Not, not good times out there. Kev, what about the um, the the CARES Act? Um, did did you guys qualify for any any grants or anything to help we're, you with funding? On it, you know, and we're you know we're trying to be really smart about it, but it doesn't like those like the PPP loan. You have to have it, they just changed to sixty. It used to be seventy five percent of your employees hired back at their original wage. Well, yep. if your isn't even existing. 
how are you going to bring, what am I going to bring him back and give him money? Yeah. And then goes for two months. Unemployment goes for six. So they get off unemployment because they job back. And then, they, well, how, I mean, what happens to them for the next four months if I can't be open? You know? Well, you know, what, I, what I'm running into, Kev, is um, there's some of our employees and, and more the drivers here than office folks. But when, uh, you know, Cuomo passed that $600, you know, stimulus, you know, there's some folks that are making more on unemployment than they would be back on the payroll. Does that does that affect you guys, too? Do you have some people that are making more on that? I pay the cooks very well. And so they most of them make around that, which is not normal for, you know, yeah. we're trying to keep it as tight, especially, you know, but they work really hard for me. They're great kids. Um, they're all there to learn. No one's there for a job. They're all there for an education and for uh, an advancement in their career. Um, but I don't feel, you know, even though, I mean, my first job, I, I got paid $4 less an hour than the dishwasher because I was learning. And I was learning. And thank goodness I took that job. You know, you have to have some of that to, to succeed, I think. But I don't feel the need to put that pressure on the, these kids. Not in New York City. No. Now, um, Kev, we, um, we talked a little bit about, you know, the streamlining, the outsourcing, because you said as far as, you know, the deliveries go and takeout, um, really not you, you it's hard to serve what you serve as takeout but did you ever think about possibly streamlining or outsourcing any of that stuff i think about because in september i that you know you do there is no such thing as half a restaurant it doesn't exist so if in september it's 50 percent capacity i'm not going to open the restaurant i'm going right. to go um and i my my plan is you know don't uh don't record this and put it on the internet or anything. <laughs> uh, my plan is to hopefully do pasta kits where I'm going to box up a you know, pound of fresh pasta, a pint of um, some sort of ragu, maybe, maybe even a vegetarian one. I don't know. Uh, and uh, a salad with some vinaigrette. And then you can buy your wine or whatever to add on to it because that travels really well. Um, everybody can cook a pound of pasta. The sauce work is already done for you. And I can do it affordably and at a small enough number a week that I can do it myself and keep the restaurant open. Alive, I should say alive, not open. So we got some more comments here. Let me put what we got up here now. Right, we got my cousin Mark Peluso. Says, love the restaurant, Kevin. My wife and I had dinner there for the first time before we flew to Costa Rica for our honeymoon. Oh, very nice. 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 Very nice. Let's see. I Wendy Wadilla. Ah, Miss Wadilla says, hey, how are you? Thanks. Yeah, the old neighbor. The old neighborhood. So, Kev, as far as some of your, your main focus, you know, for food there, what, what are some of your key foods you guys focus on? Well, we we really focus on um, locally sourced meat and vegetables, uh, locally grown wheat. Um that's the, the most important thing to me is how it, how it's raised, who, you knowing the farmer, uh, these things are really important. Uh, and I don't want to get into a, I'm certain, I'm certainly not anti-vegetarian and I don't want to come off that way, but, uh, I'm, I'm pro vegetable, right. And that there is no other way to look at this. You, 
this is this is fact and um if you want to eat an organic vegetable you need an animal to make the organics to grow the vegetable and i don't think it's fair to ask a farmer to pay to house and feed an animal to create this organic matter and then when it finally dies you throw it in a dumpster i think it's abhorrent and um i think i also think that the way we consume meat in america is abhorrent the feedlots and you know everybody gets a giant steak for 10 cents and you know it's it's not it's that's that's bad that's the bad that's just as bad um as you can get uh so i find the guy who has a few animals that are used to supplement a cyclical farming environment you know where um you know different farm animals do different things cows walk around and they eat the grass um chickens will then be led into that pasture 3 days later to eat um basically maggots you know they go around they mash up all the organic matter and then pigs are rooters and they turn the the soil over they work for you they work for the farmer they help out um if you just use that field to raise carrots or lettuce that's wonderful what are you going to do with the pig and the cow and the chickens you know you got to you got to if the you know the, the farmer needs to 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 be able to utilize those things you know so i'm looking for that guy i'm looking for the guy who thinks about the earth instead of thinking about how many more cows can i get here so i can sell more steakums you know it it's for me it's a, a guy who is you know um you know less than 100 cows a year you know um that's that's a small farm you know so kev you got a couple things your your dad's got here something on here which i think i've heard this story but he says tell rock the story of arthur Arthur's and i think i've heard the pig right yeah arthur's a pig i raised um i raised the pig to see if you could you know talk the talk and walk the walk really you know can i kill something eat it kill something myself and eat it and then continue to do so right and turns out you can i can um it was extremely difficult uh to take uh, an animal's life but it was it you know i think about it all the time with uh every animal that i that i process you know uh it's it's really important for you to understand that the stuff at the grocery store walked around that doesn't mean don't eat it it means don't eat the wrong stuff because if you are if you are against the um the if you're if you don't eat meat because the way they treat animals you are effing up bad because these other people who don't care they're going to keep eating those animals and but and they're going to put the little farmers who do it the right way out of business and sooner or later it they'll figure out a way to do it even cheaper and more disgusting and terribly and so you got to join the fight 
you got to join the fight and you got to find a farm, you know, um, I, 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 I actually slaughtered, uh, Arthur at, at, in a Hartwick with Larry Altizer, Altizer at Larry's custom meats. He specializes in slaughtering, um, uh, animals from local people around upstate New York, uh, you know, very small scale abattoir. Um, and he, he's an animal lover, you know, he, yeah, he dude was crying, you know, like it, this is important. The transition from an animal to food is an important thing for everybody. Same way in transition of a tree, beautiful, respected living thing, you know, be your house. Right. You, know, you should really think about it before you cut it down. You know, same thing. So Kev, my, uh, my, my sister says, how'd you come up with your menu? It's so many lifetimes ago. <laughs> that I could even, I don't, I, I don't know what, what's on the, I also, little side note, the minute I take something off the menu, I forget about it. I, there's something like where my brain is always focused forward, forward, forward. I don't, I don't know. I don't even, I couldn't name one dish that was on the menu. I can name some pasta shapes, but not one. The way I come up with most of the stuff that I do By going to the farmer's market, getting inspiration, seeing something, and then going, what can I do with that? Um, what are the ways I can craft that into something else? Whittle it down. Um, you know, using your bag of tricks. Hopefully it gets a little bit bigger every day. And um, it's all about seasonality for me, really. You know, um, I'm... One of the saddest things is I didn't get any peas this spring. You know, uh, the ramps, the fiddleheads, all the things that would have just been coming out. You know, you don't get, you didn't get, you know, and I'm going to miss out on corn and tomatoes, you know, and the summer stuff. Good news is fall's my favorite time to cook. So, you know, at least I got that going for me. So, Kev, we got another one. Stephanie Darkangelo says, if you ever given any Rome specialties, to the chefs you you have worked for, and she put in turkey uh, turkey joints. Uh, and it says from Anthony. Uh, I absolutely do. Um, I one of my favorite when I first moved to New York, I went home. I was working at a very um, you know top fifteen restaurant in the world, and. Uh, I'd been living in Florida for 10 years and I didn't, I didn't get home for a lot of holidays. So I started there right around now, really. And, uh, I, I asked the chef for Thanksgiving off without, you know, telling him I was Thanksgiving. And, uh, we had a little bit of back and forth. I explained to him that I hadn't been home for a holiday in 10 years and I really liked to go. And we made an arrangement. And when I came back, I brought turkey joints. And in that kitchen, um, aside from being some of the best savory chefs in the world, the pastry chef there was the uh, best pastry chef in the world, probably still is, um, a guy named Michael Scanis, who I can't even describe how much of a legend this guy is. He <laughs> really something. Um, I've never, he puts everybody else to shame, you know, and uh, that's, I've eaten in a lot of places and like he, he, this, his mind is, you know, it's like a savant, you know, he just sees things in a way that you, you don't 
you don't really see in in um, in kitchens. And uh, I brought him a jar, and he's like, "Man, these are great! Where'd you get them?" And I was telling him, and he's like, "Oh, that's interesting." He, you know, he turns out, you know, obviously he's a he's passionate about his craft. And one of the things was, you know, things that he loved was like local candies, and so, um, you know, some of the best chefs in the world have had the turkey joints, um, yeah. although. Uh, they, they're not that I think this is a bad thing. They are getting a little more expensive, so they're getting a little less uh, handoutable. Yeah. Uh, so, Kev, remember Lance Cyrus, right? He says, oh, yeah. "Kevin Rock, what's up?" Man, which blast is, from the past. Yeah, which is cool. Lance always tunes in. That's awesome. Thanks, Lance. So, Kev, popular menu items. What's some of the popular ones? Other than the whole menu is good, but what are some popular ones? Okay, um, I guess, here you go. If you want to open a restaurant, just serve rigatoni. Everyone <laughs> put whatever you want on it, and everyone's going to order it. Um, I, I, I have to take it off the menu. I, I don't like to have it on because it's, I, I, you know, first of all, I love rigatoni. I'm a ziti guy of, like, box pasta or curly pasta, you know, like uh, rotini. Or I, if I'm going to get box pasta, which is not very often, that's the way I go. But... Um, so I don't, I don't, I don't judge any pasta shape except for cavatappi. If you like cavatappi, you're probably a jihadist, but let's just leave that alone. <laughs> uh, rigatoni, everyone knows it. And so they're, they're like, oh, I'll just have the rigatoni. They're too afraid to think of what a scarponac could be or a strozzapretti or, you know, um, any, any, they're, they're, they don't, they don't want to think out of the box. So. Rigatoni will always uh, sell the Bucatini, which is now actually a, um, a different shape, but uh, which was my grandmother's recipe. Uh, those always sell great. Also a pasta shape people know uh, to the point where we used to have them at brunch. We did a Rigatoni alla Grecia, which is like, um, uh, it's a, uh, how do I best describe this? Carb it's carbonara without an egg. So it's guanciale and black pepper and cheese. And people, you know, lose their mind. And the cooks would just chant, riggy, boog, <laughs> riggy. Because that's all it was. Just, you know, we were doing brunch. And it was just over and over and over again. Um, so the duck, I can't take the duck off the menu. We always have duck on the menu. Um, the other proteins changed. Two fish, two meat. One of them is always duck. Uh, and then the eight or 10 pastas that we do change all the time. Um, caramel is also a big popular one. I don't know. I, I, I also, the most important thing for me is if it becomes popular, I take it away from them. I, I can't, I can't, I can't allow myself to be um, beholden to this dish where I have to do it because that's why they're here. Yep. If, if, that's why you're coming. Maybe you'll try something else. Maybe you won't come back, but I will not get bored of what I do for a living because you. That's interesting because a lot of people would probably say the opposite. They want to keep, if people like something on your menu, they want to keep it. So that's an interesting take. I, I have to take it away from them. We had a dish. Actually, I, I it's on the menu. Well, it was on the menu when we closed, but uh, when we first opened, we got uh, one of our dishes got named the best. Uh, second second best dish in New York City. I went to work the next day. It took it off the menu. Because I didn't want to be beholden to it to be like, 
I didn't ever want to look at it and go, oh, God, this again. You know, that, that just it's soul sucking, you know, when you're doing something not because you want to, but because some other person wants to. Because, so, spoiler alert, um, sooner or later, I will cook something that will disappoint you that you've had a hundred times. It's the law of diminishing returns. You had, you know, you go on a roller coaster. First time is great. Second time, you, you see a few more different things you were looking for. By the hundredth time, it's just a chair that moves, you know doesn't matter about those other 99 times that hundredth time ruined you for that roller coaster. You're not getting out of it. You know, maybe a few years from now you'll revisit that roller coaster and it'll reawaken you, you know? So, um, go ahead. So you had, uh, Kimberly Ann said the giants are jets. Buffalo bills, the bills. All right. Buffalo bills. Nobody circles the wagon that I can't watch unless they're, uh, playing the jets. So, Kev, I got a couple more things for you that I am going to see if, if your mom can figure this thing out. And I, I haven't brought a guest on live during a show since I've been starting to do this. So we're going to see if we can make it work because I got a few minutes here. But, Kev, I always like to ask everybody, whether they're coaches, athletes, there's always people that have helped you, that you've looked up to, that, that have helped you along your journey to where you're at today. Who are some of those people? Well, I like to think almost everybody I've run into, even the bad people help you, you know, um, some of the most influential people I, I work, the first chef I worked for Rusty, uh, you know, he did everything right. Um, and that is a really good thing to see in your first kitchen, you know, a guy who expects, you know, he, he, he did the work himself. He worked hard. He expected it out of, out of um, uh, everyone around him, you know, that's, I, I think really important. Um, Eric repair, uh, to some extent was, you know, real eye opening. I mean, that, that's a kitchen where you cook for Kings and presidents. I cook for the first lady, Robert Duvall, my favorite celebrity guest of all time. Yep. Um, you know, but chief justice, you know, I mean like, like this in, in crazy world of ki literally Kings. I actually, physically ran into the, the, I think it was the president of the Dominican Republic. I bumped into him while he was smoking a cigar out front. I was running out of work. You know, that's something you don't see every day. You right. Know? Uh, I, I, and, and, you know, just the, the privilege of being in a kitchen like that is not lost on me. Um, you know, also my parents uh, did a really good job, um, you know, raising me and my brother, I think. And, um, very influential, positive, both positive forces in my life, which a lot of people don't have in their life. So, yeah, thanks to them. Um, I also will say that, you know, part of what I do is is kind of coaching. You know, it's been more, I think, better described as like the um, conductor of an orchestra, you know, where you don't get to actually play anything yourself, but you got to put your emotion into other people. And, uh, you know, growing up in my house, everybody, you know, everybody, you know, everybody's a coach, yep. you know, everyone's yep. a coach, you know, so you have, um, you know, my uncles, uh, my old man, all their friends, you know, just these, these kind of coach Davis, you know, uh, coach Mize, 
you know, these guys who, you know, they, there's no off switch for coaching, you know, you're, you're coaching all the time, you know, uh, and the, usually I, I can't think of a, an opposite on this, but uh, usually trying to make other people better than, you know, you are. You know, you're trying to, you know, together everyone achieves more kind of mentality. And uh, so you don't get a lot of bad advice when you're surrounded by coaches all the time, you know. Um, so, you know, I played sports, had a lot of good coaches, uh, but it was more so the people around the house, um, you know, going to work with my old man, carrying coach uh, Steve Frank, legend, you know, growing up carrying cords for him, you know, way too, way too young to be on the sideline of a college football game. <laughs> um, you know, um, my wife gives me inspiration. She's a great, great woman. No, definitely been blessed Kev, to be around some good people. And like you said, our, my family's the same way. I mean, we're family. Everybody's coaches. You know, you're, you're a coach. I mean, you're a head coach where you're at just in a different field. I mean, I like to say, you know, the jobs that I've had in, in leadership roles, you know, we're head coaches. We're just head coaches on a different playing field. Yeah. You know, you know, you just can't take it out of you. If you want to stand there and teach swimming or whatever it is you do, you're going to always want to be that guy. You know, if that's really what you want, if that's what you want in your heart to make other people better, you're going to continue those lessons, uh, You know, I'll, no matter what you're doing, I actually, I'm not, I don't want to name drop, but I, I, I'm going to have to. I was at a, a concert, right? And I was backstage. I ended up getting backstage and I ran into Bill Walton, right? And he's gigantic, right? And I had yep. to stop myself from yelling out, make each day your masterpiece, you know, the classic wooden line. Yeah, yeah. Because I thought I was going to get thrown out. And I, didn't, I didn't want to get thrown out by yelling at Bill Walton, but. You know, I, there's a big part of me that wishes I did, you know, that I, I would have loved to see his face at a place where he's probably not expecting a, uh, you know, 70-year-old wooden quote, you know, 60-year-old wooden quote. So, Kev, I'm going to see if your mom can make this happen because we got about two minutes. So I'm going to see if we can at least bring her on. But, and Bonnie, if you're watching, which I'm hopefully you are, I just put a link across the screen that says, join me live on this link. Click that link. Click that link. Follow the steps. I got to see if we can make this happen. This would be huge, Kev. I, I haven't done this yet. Hey, but I figure we see. can we we can see if she can get on here. It it may be past her bedtime. No, I'm going to go on a limb and say I think she's up. We're going to see if because, uh, like I said, we got I got a couple minutes here before I get off the air, so she's got to click that link. And we'll see if we can get her on here. Kev, while we're waiting, though, real fast, if you can, talk about the Michelin Award. Michelin is an international um, bar of excellence. Um, you know, achieving that was a um, dream come true. You know, it really was. Uh, to be... Um, in the same conversation as some of these other chefs in America who've, who earned this uh, is mind mind boggling. 
um, you know, I, I always make my wife take pictures of me when they, when I'm at the award, like next to these guys that I, you know, that their, you know, their books are all behind me. I, I, you know, we stand on the shoulders that come of the people who come before, you know, before us. And, um, you know, there's part of it that thinks it's comical, you know, uh, but it was, uh, it, it was a dream come true. Well, Kev, I don't know. She said she's still up, so I don't know. She's probably having. I, I put her on the spot. I probably should have tried to give her a heads up, heads up notice on this. But uh, I, I would have loved to seen if we can we can make it happen. But um, well, listen, Kev. I mean, you know, we're all proud of you this way, man. I love you. you. You've done a great job, and you know, I think you're 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 an inspiration for all of us. You know, with everything going on out there in New York City. Um, you know, you're you're right in the middle of everything out there, man. And and to still be able to stand tall through it all, keep keep fighting, man. You you've done a great job. I appreciate it. Um, this has been fun. I, I'd love to do this again. Uh, and I got the free time. So if you know, if you need a, a fill in, I could be like the Carson fill in guy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm there for you anytime. Um I uh, nice to see all all the Rome crowd. You know, joining in the conversation. I hope that um, everyone's staying safe. Uh, people are excited to get back to uh, their normal life soon. Hopefully, we can get to that point. You know, for next year. Um, and I just want to say thanks again for having me on. And, uh, it's been it's been great. All right, man. No problem. Listen, stay in touch. Love you. Tell tell the wife, love her, and uh, hopefully we'll be in touch soon. We'll do, my friend. Um, you stay safe and uh, enjoy the rest of your night. You too, man. Stay in touch. That was awesome having my cousin on in there. I, I threw out threw out my Aunt Bonnie here at the last minute. I probably should have gave her uh, a heads up, but uh, I wanted to see if we can do that. I'll have to try to do it another time. But uh, Kevin's great, and like I said, I, Kevin always stays in touch and one of my biggest followers, which which I always appreciate. So again. Like the video tonight, give me a share, share it with all your friends, family members. Um, go to my Facebook profile page. Uh, you can follow me on all the social media sites. Next week, special guest, Rebecca Stedman, the new owners at Fort Ricky Discovery Farm right here in Rome, will join me next Wednesday night. They will open next Saturday. So they're going to be right here prime time with me Wednesday night at 8 o'clock. So on behalf of the Rock Pile tonight, I appreciate you following me. I'll see you next week.